Welcome to the Reimagining Faith podcast with the Pastors Jackson. This is a podcast for seekers, dreamers, and fellow sojourners who are trying to figure out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the 21st century. For the past couple of weeks, we have been taking apart our core principles at Open Table, that we are theologically progressive, Pottstown-focused with Jesus at the center. Um, and now we are in that second part, that we are Pottstown-focused. And there's been a lot of questions about what that means from folks who have said, hey, I don't live in Pottstown. Can I join your church? Um, do, do, do you count the areas around Pottstown? What, what, what does it mean to be focused on Pottstown? And we believe really very strongly that we have been placed here on purpose, that we are a church community that is just filled to the brim with people who care deeply about the, the folks who call this place home, about the watershed that uh, that we live on and about the many various needs of the community. So we figured that who better to start this section with than talking with one of our founding partners of Open Table, Marlene Armato. Marlene is a retired educator and a tireless advocate for justice for our kids here in Pottstown and across the state. She is on the board of Power Interfaith and is involved with other organizations as well who are actively fighting for our students to receive proper funding for their schools so that they can have the same opportunities that kids in more affluent neighborhoods do. Uh, just recently, the state Supreme Court of Pennsylvania had this landmark ruling that the way that Pennsylvania schools are funded is unconstitutional, and the legislature needs to do something about it. Now, they didn't give a timetable for that, and they didn't give specific instructions, so it's a little vague. But for people like Marlene, who have been in this fight for over a decade, this is a massive win. And I don't think I even really understood how much of a win it was and how deep this issue goes until this conversation that we had with Marlene. Marlene shares with us this particular fight for school funding that she's been having, as well as a number of other matters of justice. And as she says a few times, equity is justice, and she will settle for nothing less than that. This conversation is enlightening, it's inspirational, and it really just makes you want to get up and change something. So I hope that you are as inspired as we were. Uh, so we had this conversation with Marlene Armato. First of all, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> We're so, 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 so grateful that you said yes to joining us. It's good to be here. And it, whenever we're talking about Pottstown, that, that makes me the happiest. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about underfunding and education, um, that is a justice issue with me. And so the work has, uh, you know, started back in 2015, 2016, as far as Pottstown is concerned. Um, but the, the injustice of the way the funding has been allocated, um, which nobody really knew for a long time. Like back before 2015, 2016, uh, the funding was haphazard, and I'm not sure that anybody really knows why districts got what they got or didn't get. Oh. 
But in 2015-16, um, they decided on a basic education funding formula. And there were criteria for that formula. So it was the number of students a school district had. It was the poverty level. It was the number of um, English as a second language learners. It was the num- the amount of money that school districts sent to charter schools. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of factors that they put into hoping to make the funding more equitable. Um, and also in two th- uh, the 1990s, there was something enacted called Hold Harmless. And Hold Harmless said that a school district could not get less than they got in that, in, in that year. Whether or not they lost students, whether or not they had the same number of special ed students, whether or not they had the, the same number of English as second language learners, um, even if those numbers dropped, they still could not get less money. Hmm. So it perpetuated a system of school districts who were already getting less not being able to get more because those other districts were still getting what they were getting before. And so... Can you speak a little bit to why that existed? Like, did they think it was going to drastically hurt the school district? Like, why wouldn't they want to adjust for... So it depended which legislators were on what committees Mm -hmm. and what school districts they had. So no legislator wants to go back to their districts and said, hey, we passed something and now you're going to lose money. You're not going to get the same amount of money you got before. So that it just perpetuated itself over time. And the push then to make funding equitable, uh, the underfunded districts kind of banded together and said, this cannot continue. Um, school superintendents, ours, for example, would call a superintendent in Allegheny County where they were getting more money than they should have. So let me back up to the, to the formula again, the fair funding formula. So, um, once the fair funding formula was enacted, it was supposed to take care of equalizing how the money was allocated, but it didn't because they only put the new education money through the formula. So there's basic education funding money, millions, and that just gets allocated the same old way. Then they, whenever they increase the education funding every year, that money goes through the formula. So that's a very small amount can, you know, compared to the actual basic education funding money. Um, And so that didn't, that, that just widened the gap then. Instead of making things better, it was making things worse. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were, you know, maybe eleven million dollars underfunded, and then it increased, and then it increased to the point where we were thirteen million dollars underfunding, underfunded. Um, and and about at that point, school districts, underfunded districts, are saying that's it, no more. We have to fix this. Um, and what they tried to do was put, I, I said a patchwork, a patchwork of bandages. On a problem. If you have a leaky pipe, instead of getting the pipe replaced, you just put a bandage on that leak. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just made, um, the situation worse. So finally, finally, um, 
legislators, some legislators of the underfunded districts became very outspoken about this and said, we have to fix this. We have to do something. It's unjust. It's unfair. Um, the other thing, the other thing that has been true is the racial bias in the funding the underfunding. Um, and that was that was brought out by research from David Masenkis from Power. Um, he analyzed it. And when you look at the charts, it's it's irrefutable. It's mind blowing. I I met with the chief of staff of a of a state senator and was presenting this back in 2018, maybe. And and she said, Well, and I said about the racial bias, she said, Well, that doesn't exist. Hmm. I said, here, let me show you. And I showed her the research, and then she just switched to, well, is power going to move into the western part of the state? Because that's where the problem is. Because they're overfunded and don't want to lose money, we can't get them on board to help with this problem. Um, and as I said before, our superintendent reached out to superintendents in the western part, and they wanted no part of fixing anything. Um, and so, you know, and, and from a power's perspective and, and a, a justice perspective, a faith perspective, what's been happening is immoral. And so uh, that's when a lot of clergy jumped in and said, wait a minute, we need to be part of this too. You know, as a, as a people of faith, when we walk into a legislator's office, we present differently. Mm-hmm. And the conversation is different. And, and we're, not, we're not coming at you. We're not attacking you. We want to work with you, form a relationship with you mm-hmm. to make things better for our, our children. Um, and so they, they listen a little differently. We may not change their minds on a vote, but we're in their head. <laughs> we're in their head. You know? Over and you know? over and over. Right, right, right. Persistent. And, and, and when we, early on when we met with two legislators, we, met, we worked with one on a Thursday and another one on a Friday. And the Thursday conversation just did not go well. Um, and so that night it was like, what could I have said differently? What could I have changed? What could we do differently? So the next one on Friday went completely differently because early in, early in the conversation, I just said, okay, let's just stop. You tell me what the future is for our children in Pottstown if they don't get an education. What does their future look like? You tell me. And he was kind of taken aback because they were used to people pushing figures, dollars and cents, you know, dollars and cents to them. And this is now, wait, this is this is on a moral level. What are, what are we doing to these children's future? Um, and he said, well, you know, they're they're probably not going to get jobs. They'll be on welfare. They're going to be in. And he stumbled over prison, but that's where he was going. And I said, so so it's pay now or pay later. Where would you like to put your money? Would you like to put it in early childhood education? Would you like to put it into elementary classrooms? You know, middle school, high school, AP court, like. And so he he was really when we left that day, we felt much better than the day before when we just got numbers pushed at us. Um, and so for Pottstown to see the disparities is is very difficult. So when I, I taught at a, a more affluent school district, my husband has been in Pottstown over 53 years. And I would come home and talk about things that we were doing. And he would, he would just always say, I just wish we could do that for our kids. I wish we could do that with our kids. When our grandson went to middle school, 
every child was presented with an iPad. When he walked into high school, every child was presented with a laptop to have year-round at home for all four years of high school. And that was like eight years ago? No, that was about, well, eight years Mid- ago, middle school. Middle school, middle yeah. school would have been yeah. eight years ago. And when he was in elementary school, every child had the opportunity to be on the morning news program. And again, John would say, well, I wish we could do that with our kids. And I remember the superintendent saying, because I told him this one day, and he said, he said, yeah, he said, for a while, our equipment was broken at the high school. And the kids would have to come to the administration building to do the morning news because they couldn't afford to fix the equipment at the high school. Mm. So, you know, we saw it, John saw it, teachers saw it day in, day out. For years and years and years. Um, so we have made progress, like you said. Um, we've been at rallies. We've been, you know, speaking to legislators, writing postcards, phone calls, everything we could to move them. Um, we had a commitment from the chair of the education committee um, several years ago that he would, he would bring that out of committee. So we kept following up, following up, following up, following up. Well, why haven't you done this yet? Well, because I was intimidated into doing this. You were intimidated by clergy to say yes to something you should be doing anyway. But that was his, that was, I was intimidated. So, um, but we, of course, didn't give up. We kept on pushing and we kept. Kept on intimidating. Then we sent, so so he was out of Erie. So we sent people out to Erie to talk to people Mm -hmm. out in Erie. Do you know that this is going on? So, so we've tried to mobilize around the state to get everybody on board with this. Okay, we realize maybe your school district is getting more than they should for the past 15 years. But don't you think these children deserve a quality education as well? Um, and so when we, went, when we went to Harrisburg in 2019, we had... Again, let me back up. When we first started, when Power First started, we had eight people on the rotunda steps praying. That was back maybe 2016, 2017. The next year, maybe we took 100. The next year, we took 300. And I had a legislator say to me, well, I signed on. I co-sponsored the bill, but I know it's not going anywhere. I said, let me tell you something. And I repeated that history. And if you think we're not going to be back next year with more people, <laughs> think again. Mm. Think again. And so the next year we had 1,300 people. Oh, jeez. It was amazing. 1,300 people. And what we accomplished was them making a rule that there could be no more than 250 people in the rotunda <laughs> at a time. <laughs> so that's that's what we accomplished and but, but and Marlene I think that might have been the moment I fell in love with Pottstown <laughs> because we had the most presence there right like right. we showed up with how many buses three buses three bus full and and that and and it wasn't just all st- teachers. It wasn't all just like parents. It was clergy. It was parents. It was people who were connected to the school. It was um, advocates. It was people who are not otherwise connected to the school. It was like 
These are our kids, and we are not going to stop until they get what they need. That was one of my proudest moments of being a Pottstown resident because I've said this before that we we love each other, but we don't always row in the same direction at the same time Mm. on things. And on that day, we did. Mm -hmm. Everybody came together, all the, the nonprofits, NAACP, YWCA. And one, one thing that Will, Will Fuller commented on that day was, look at this. Look at how many different shirts there are, but they all say Pottstown. Like different groups, but they all say Pottstown. And um, one, of the, one of the most impactful things to me coming out of that was one of the phrases that one of the chants we did was, I believe that we will win. And when the kids got back, they were asked, well, what did you think about that? What did you, you know, what, what stood out to you? And their first comment was, I didn't know so many people cared about us. And then I believe that we will win. So I asked a father, I asked a father about a month ago, does your daughter still believe that we will win? And she said, yes. And so that's a lesson for them that people care about them, number one. Number two, the ruling of the court on the court case, they know they had a part in that. Yeah. They know, they know that, that, and I said this to somebody, judges don't live in a silo. So even though the things that the the attorneys for other um, people who were being the suit was being brought against, um, you know, even though she had to listen to that, she didn't live in a silo to what was happening around her as far as the rallies, what was being said about you know underfunded districts, and so our kids had a part in that, and so they have ownership of that. And so it's it's, it's, (laughs) so empowering. It's something they will have with them that nobody can take away from them. Mm -hmm. Nobody can take that away from them. Um, And so, yeah. So, and then the last budget, the last budget, um, you know, uh, some bipartisanship work and and the governor. And uh, finally, finally, we got extra money last year. Um, and I, I referred to a YouTube video that the superintendent did with a first grade teacher in Pottstown. And, um, you know, sometimes after you teach 24, 25 years, you're kind of like, okay, we're in, you know, and you go year after year after year. She was so inspired mm. by what her children were learning how they were responding, how they felt about themselves. Um, she talked about this little girl because he said, is there one child that you could point out that this has really made a difference to? And she talked about this little girl who, when they did some pre-testing at the beginning of the year, she was below level. And now she's above level. And and she before she was very shy, very quiet, very you know introverted, and now she'll read her stories out loud to the class, and and all because of this program that they were able to purchase that has a lot of resources with it, yeah. tiles that the kids move you know to make words and move them around, and um, again, things that other districts have had mm. for years and years and years, we had those things. When I was teaching, and I've been retired since 2003, 
Um, now, I'm sure the pogroms are upgraded. I'm sure that they're, you know, <laughs> but but still, yeah. we've had them for a long time. And, um, and then one of the other uh, videos is about a young girl who uh, played soccer, but it was injured. There was, wasn't another sport for her. And through the money that we got last year, they were able to form a girls volleyball team, mm-hmm. which we never had before. Um, and, and the more opportunities you give to children, the more pathways there are for their future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, for me, for me, one of the biggest fights in this battle, even with some of our coalition partners, is the equity piece. Because it's a matter of, well, maybe we can't reach for equity. And I'm, I'm a holdout. Like, I held up an entire <laughs> statewide team <laughs> by saying, I will never give up on equity. Never. Because equity is justice. And if you're not in this for justice for our kids, you're in the wrong place. So, um, but, but I, also, I also had to realize that I have to be flexible. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you have to work with other teams or groups that may, have, may bring something to the table. Maybe they're not bringing all of it that you want, but you have to. So we did work with those, those other coalitions last year. And I had to come to terms with... What is justice for our kids today? Okay. And justice for our kids at that moment was working with those other coalitions. So we had numbers of people, more numbers, more power, small p power to, <laughs> to move, move legislators, move, move the governor. And so, um, but the equity itself still out there. <laughs> like yeah. I am not ever going to give up on, on that. And also the other coalitions that we worked at one time didn't, didn't want to include the racial bias piece. Mm. And as power, we were not going to give up on that either. And, and so districts that are 95% white, it's hard for them to understand that bias that's there. They will not, like I said, the chief of staff of the, the one state senator, there that doesn't exist. Yeah, but it does, it does. And so, um, yeah. So I think I think our children, our children have been included in the rallies. They've spoken at the rallies. Um, they've taken ownership of this. They will speak out at other events about this. At the vigil, we had student speakers, um, and so and so they know. They know, but they also, they also, they know they're not getting what they should be getting, but they know that people care about them. Yep. And so that's the work. And, and even with the ruling of the court case, there was no timeline given. There was no way to make this funding equitable the way it's supposed to. Um, but the judge is watching over it. We don't know what the legislature is going to do, um, but we... We're hopeful. So is this Supreme Court, state Supreme Court ruling tied to the fair funding formula that was passed? Or is it just in general that uh, there's too much inequity for this to be uh, fair among students? So um, in the state constitution, it says that the legislature is – uh, their job is to provide a thorough and efficient education for every child in Pennsylvania. 
And what was said at the trial um, from the attorneys who said that if we provide, we provide desks and pencils, that's providing a thorough and efficient education. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that, well, why are we teaching all children biology and algebra? Because a lot of them are going to work at McDonald's anyway. The judge said that's not providing a thorough and efficient education. No, efficient maybe. Get and, them in and out real and, quick, and, but not thorough. And so I, as, I'm, as I'm listening to the reporting of the trial, I'm saying to myself, how could anyone, even if they're not a judge, even if they don't have a legal background, how could anyone rule in favor of those people who have been doing this year in, year out, year in. And so um, so what, what the ruling has done, though, is the ruling has shined a spotlight on the issue yeah. and has brought more people into, into the conversation. Another thing that, that shined a spotlight on this was the year the school shut down mm-hmm. in March of 2020. Yeah. And there were districts that just kept right on going like the shutdown never happened. They went virtual like two days later without a hiccup because all of the students in their district had devices. Mm. They all had Wi-Fi. In Pottstown, as you know, we had to raise $300,000 to buy devices for our students. At the middle school, as opposed to our grandson, when he went to middle school and every child got a laptop, our students in the middle school had to share iPads that were on a table or on a cart. Then the district, once we got the $300,000, once they got the devices, then they had to buy uh, buy hotspots, get hotspots for people because they didn't have Wi-Fi. Um, And so school shut down March 20th. There were schools, school districts that March 22nd, 23rd were already rolling with their virtual learning. Pottstown High School didn't start until April 20th. Oh, I didn't. The middle know. school was a month later, and the elementary kids were almost. It was almost the end of the year. So while the wow. affluent school districts on March twenty third were rolling with their virtual, Pottstown School District was trying to figure out how we were going to feed our children. I remember that because because our children get get free breakfast, free lunch, right. so they get two meals a day at school. There might be a third meal that day. There might not. Once you shut the schools down, there are no meals. So there were drive-through lines where parents would come through the drive-through line, pick up food, and pick up packets of paper for their lessons Mm. to take with them because we couldn't go virtual yet. So they had to just figure out the papers themselves. And it was and it was review. There was no new learning. So when I talk about Pottstown High School started April 20th. That was when new learning started. Everything from March 20th to April 20th was review. Now, imagine kids who are getting ready to take SATs and, you know, so, yeah. So it it, it impacted us. And it really, that, when when I speak to people about the situation and the disparity, that's one thing I always point to, is there were districts that just kept rolling, like nothing ever happened. Right. And and here we were. So, how did they raise that money? Well, we had churches mm-hmm. who donated the uh, Pottstown uh, Foundation for Education gave a large donation. Health and Wellness Foundation 
Pastown Health and Wellness Foundation gave a donation, other nonprofits. Um, there were pledges. There was fundraising. And, and the com- again, community of Pottstown came together. Yeah. As they do. As they do. Um, and um, I, I said I said on the bus on the way back from Harrisburg um, that one of the things about Pottstown people is there are a number of things. One, we're genuine. We're not going to tell you what you want to hear. I, I said that. I know to, that's right. I said that. I said that to a uh, state senator. Yes. You don't. You you don't. He said Pottstown people are hard to talk to. Mm. I said, that's because they're not going to tell you what you want to hear. It's like a little slice of Jersey. It's so comforting to be here. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And so and so I said, I've gone door to door in this town. I know our people. And what our people want is for things to be better for their children. That's what they want. If you don't want to hear that message, maybe you're in the wrong job. Mm. Yeah. Maybe in the wrong job. Um, and so, Yeah. It's um it but but Pottstown people come together and I and on the bus I said you know we're resilient and I met I remember Evan Brandt our star whatever labels you want to give him <laughs> reporter for the Pottstown Mercury said that's because we've had to be mm. we've always had to be resilient yeah. but it does make you tough and it does make you right. ready to speak out when. Injustice happens, and we're not going to let it happen to our kids or our community or anybody else. You said, uh, I'm sorry to go back so far. I I listened to you talk about this stuff for for hours. Um, We have spent hours (laughs) hours talking about this, but um, you said something earlier that I thought was a really interesting distinction, and I'm wondering if you can kind of expound on it a bit, that, that you want equity, not just justice. What is the? How would you define the difference, and what what would that look like? No, I said I I wanted equity because equity would be justice. Oh right. So then, what is what is the opposite of what? So so the the so the other coalitions they were willing to um, we're we're going to ask the governor for three hundred million. We're going to, add, but not fix the problem. Of oh, got it. the formula and the way it was being implemented. And and I talked about those bandages. So you're bandaging, bandaging, bandaging. And I, I was at a, a coalition workshop and I had two Pottstown students with me who were juniors. And she's going through this whole what they're asking for, what they're asking. And I raised my hand and I said, well, where's the equity piece in here? And she said, well, we're not for equity because we don't want anybody, any schools, to, districts to lose money. I said, well, you know, I'm sitting here with two Pottstown students and we lose money every year because we're not getting what we should be getting. So that's losing money. I said, if we don't go for equity, these two junior students, if they have siblings in kindergarten, we will be right back here when those siblings are juniors with the same problem. Because unless you fix the formula and how it's being implemented, you will never get to equity. You will never get the underfunded districts where they should be. Right. So Level Up has helped. Level Up Level Up was implemented two years ago, I think, where the hundred least or the hundred most underfunded districts they have given extra money to. Okay. So if you took however many years it would get to to finally reach the point where we should be. 
level up, you know, level up has helped. And there have been legislators in the past who have had proposals where they would do all kind of the, almost the same thing. And maybe we would get to where we should be in 10 years, 25 years. We don't have that long. <laughs> I, a generation later. Yeah. 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 And when I was, I was at a, a faith, uh, a fa- place of worship um, in Bucks County several years ago, and we were, we were meeting with their council, and they were trying to decide whether they were going to jump into this fight or not. And it was, well, maybe in three years, maybe in five years. And I said to this woman whose daughter just started kindergarten, I said, are you willing to wait five years for your daughter? Yeah. If she doesn't have what she needs today... Are you willing to wait till she's in fifth grade and look at all the loss that she's had in that time? Are you willing to are you willing to do that? Yeah. The one thing our kids don't have is time. You're taking that away from them. You are robbing them each and every day that they're in those classrooms. So don't talk to me about three to five years. <laughs> That's so easy when it's a theoretical right. sort yes. of a deal. Right. And it's when just it's numbers on paper. Yeah. And it's right. not a child that you know and love. Right. Right, right, and and one of our one of our recent get-togethers with power, um, Will Fuller looked at us all and he said, "I want you to think about two people who you love. This is who you're working for. These are pots on people. These are the people you're working for. So every time we do an action, every time we put something on paper, every time we go out and speak, every time." These are the people you're working for. Mm-hmm. So keep them in your mind, keep them in your heart, because this is a heart issue. It's not just up in our, up in our heads. <laughs> I mean, it's not something that just floats out in the air. This is in our hearts. And so I, I remember, I remember a former executive director of Power when we were out in Harrisburg and we met with the governors, um, not Governor Shapiro's uh, people, but. Governor Wolf's people, and we were around the table and we were talking back and forth, back and forth about, you know, how to go about this. He came out of that meeting morally wounded, hmm. not because not because of those people and not because of, of their own thoughts about this, but the reactions that would, the, le- the legislative reactions there would be to our proposals. And they were telling us straight, like, this is this is the reaction you're going to get. And he came out, and I just remember him. He was bent over a chair. And we kept, we thought there was something physically wrong with him. And we were all around him. And we said, well, are you okay? Or he said, no, I'm not okay. He said, this is a moral issue. What, what don't people get about that? Mm. When you wound children... When you wound anybody, but when you wound children, this is moral. Yeah. And and I'll always rem- I'll always remember that. I'll always remember that vision of him just being wounded. And so we fight we fight for the wounded. You know. One of the the rallying cry that continues to play in my brain and and maybe it makes sense as a pastor that this is this is what i what i sit with constantly i can't even remember his name uh um nicholas o'rourke, o'rourke. I, I remember him leading a chant as we were like 
almost like the Battle of Jericho, right? <laughs> like marching around the walls with, with tambourines and our voices and our feet and saying, this is what theology looks like, right? Like action-based, my faith, it's not even, it's not even like, like morality, like my faith, my deepest convictions, I can't not, right? Like this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about it. I'm not um, thinking about it. Like I'm working out my faith with my feet, with my hands, with my voice. And um, it has drastically changed how I I view my work as a pastor and and how I view um, spirituality and and what it means, um, what it produces. Like it, like faith produces something, um, and I keep that in the back of my mind all the time. Um, I said in a in a conference once, uh, right before the, the pandemic happened, that like I preach the love of God every Sunday. I stand up in that pulpit and I say that. But if I turn my eyes and my ears away from the plight of the the children I'm preaching to, and I and I don't fight on their behalf, am I lying to them? Like. Am I am I saying like God cares about your spirit, but maybe not about like your life situation or you know, um, like it it is absolutely connected to my faith, um, and I I think that's one thing I've always seen in you is that my faith calls me to do this. Like it's it's not just um, something I care about because I'm a teacher or you know it. It, it's something that in in my in my gut in my deepest place I can't not. Yeah. Well, and this, this is one of the things that that brought me to power mm-hmm. interfaith because these are people of faith doing the work that we need to do, and um, and and education education funding isn't our only campaign um, because there are people affected in all different aspects of life who need champions, who need people of faith around them to say, it's okay, we're going to fight for you, we're going to help you, we're going to... Um, but it is, it is this work for me is faith-driven. It's, it's faith-driven. It's moral. It's, um, you, you can't turn your back. You can't turn away. You, you, you just can't because their lives, their lives depend on this. Their futures depend on this. Um, and if we if we walk the walk we're supposed to be walking, then this is this is the walk we need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it James that said that um, if you see a brother or sister in need and have the means to help and choose not to, but instead just say God bless you, <laughs> then your faith is meaningless and worthless. Faith without works is dead. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And so the, the the work will continue because we don't know what uh, Governor Shapiro's budget is going to be like tomorrow uh, that he that he put proposals he puts out for his budget. 
Um, he, you know, on the campaign trail, I heard him numerous times, you know, fully fund education, fully fund education. I'm not sure they always understand what that means. Mm. I, yeah, I don't think they do either. <laughs> now, yeah. now, or else they're all liars. Now, Governor, <laughs> Governor Wolf, by the end of his term, Governor Wolf, by the end of his term, got it as far as what was needed. Now, getting bipartisan work around that isn't, but he he underst he understood he understood it. Um, but I think it takes a while for a new governor with everything he or she is dealing with. He under Governor Shapiro understands there's an issue. Mm -hmm. Certainly with the court case, certainly understands yeah, right. the and as Attorney General mm -hmm. yeah. understands it. Understanding the implementation of how that would be, you know, how it would be implemented to have equitable fair funding, that's a whole other, that's a whole other problem because of the districts that would lose money. Right. So then if you can't take the money from those districts that are overfunded, they themselves would not say that we're overfunded. No. <laughs> They'd no. probably think they should still get more. Right. Where would the funding come from? So I think I think it would have to be a common a combination of putting more money in. I mean, it, it's going to take it's going to take over four billion dollars mm -hmm. to actually fully fund public education in Pennsylvania. Um, so I think it's going to be a combination of putting more money in and also continuing to level up or what, however you want to do that to bring those underfunded districts up to where they should be. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be an all at once. It's going to be a gradual over time, I think. Hopefully not 10 years, 25 years, as some legislators have proposed. Um, one of the proposals out there is a um, billion dollars a year over four years. Mm -hmm. But then, but then is, it going to, is more going to be needed because we're not getting what we need each year, so we're kind of falling behind. Mm -hmm. um, and also, also um, doubling the amount of level up money. So whatever Pottstown got in level money level up this year, they should get. Now, now I was also talking to to some other people about what about the the district that's one hundred one. Like there are about two hundred and fifty districts that are underfunded. Mm -hmm. So they took the the hundred, you know, which were underfunded by the most. But what if you're district one hundred one? Just barely there. So, so those districts have to be thought about also. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we get the same amount and level up we got last year or a little more and those other hundred get the extra that other people were proposing. So uh, no, that's, those are numbers I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like monopoly money at that point. Yeah. yeah. But, but um, so yeah, I mean, because because those children are suffering as well. It's not just the, those of us that are in the hundred. Um, you know, it's it's the others as well. So you mentioned the racial bias behind a lot of these problems, and I mean, if you just look at the numbers, it's it's stark and undeniable that majority white school districts are usually well funded, and some of that i think and maybe you can correct me on this comes from the way that schools have been historically funded right that schools are historically funded by property taxes in this the district where they are and because of you know 200 years of failed reconstruction in this country post slavery and redlining from banks and all these things that have been totally legal to 
eliminate the potential for generational wealth among black Americans, um, these majority of black neighborhoods generally have less um, property tax income. A lot of those places then got bought up by, you know, uh, New York property owners who then rented it back out to the people who live there their whole lives. And so they're not paying property taxes. You know, there's a million different reasons why these neighborhoods are like that. Um, it, should we be thinking about changing the way that it's funded entirely to get rid of that? Or is is this formula then kind of eliminating those districts and making it statewide? I, th I think that there was discussion at our power meeting last Sunday um, on perhaps the formula needs to be reworked. Mm -hmm. There needs to, there need, and, and I know our state representative also thinks the same thing, that there need to, there needs to be a revamping of the formula. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that people, when they think about their communities and they think about the concentrations of people of color, why that is mm -hmm. like do people just want to be together is that why it is or is it the redlining that has family after you know family in the in a, families over time have lived in the same community in the same houses because they weren't allowed not allowed to buy in in other places in a community um and so that's you know that that has occurred um, but we need to dismantle. We need to dismantle this, the racism, and we need to give people um, a step up. One way is is through education. They're, they're one of the ways they get out of that is education. I know that um, we have some some people who are running for office right now, who are trying to find ways to help fee help people with tangled titles. Um, where, you know, the, the house has been in a family and now you have generations later who would, they want to actually buy that house, pay it off. Mm -hmm. And they can't because nobody can find where the title is oh. to the house. And so we have, we have people running for register of wills, um, and recorder of deeds who really want to look into this problem and also defer the probate costs mm -hmm. until after the estate is settled so that then they would have the money to because you're asking people to pay a probate fee that they can't pay and so therefore right nothing nothing happens on that yeah and so and so that's another that's another piece of it all when you talk about the racial bias in and everything yeah um and it's been generational and as you said Families haven't been able to accumulate generational wealth because of this kind of thing, where it's the same per the same family in the same house, generation after generation, but nobody knows. I mean, maybe maybe the house it was rented or purchased. I they don't know. Yeah. They don't know, and so right. home ownership is like the number one way to build yes. wealth over yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and. Uh, and they don't have that. And so we have realtors as well in town who are trying to work on this. Oh, yes. Um, and so very passionate realtors. <laughs> I was very surprised, having only lived here for six months, that like there are a lot of really justice-focused realtors in this town who are really focused on the property here. Which is a change yeah. from when we wanted to buy our house in Pottstown and the realtors told us we shouldn't do that. Mm. Now— they didn't know who they were talking to. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I pitied fool. <laughs> right. And now there's a street named after you. So well, yeah. I mean, you're talking to someone who works for Pottstown School District telling him you shouldn't buy a house in Pottstown. You shouldn't invest in Potsdam. You shouldn't pay your property taxes to help Potsdam Borough or the school district. And he would just shake his head and say, it's probably better if I just walk away. Because if I get engaged in this conversation, it's not going to be, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to uh, end well for it's them. It's not going to end well. Um, and so but, we were resolute, though. We were resolute. Yeah. We were buying in. We wanted our children to go to Pottstown schools. Yeah. Same. And that was one of the big reasons we moved. Uh, my husband was athletic director at the time. And if they participated in any sports or anything, he would never see them. He would never see them because mm. he would be at Pottstown games. They would be wherever. Um, so we had a lot of motivators for why we wanted to be in Pottstown. But one of the reasons we wanted to be in Pottstown is we did not want our children to grow up in a cocoon. We wanted them to work and play and be educated with children from all walks of life, children from all races, children from all socioeconomic, you know, um, areas. And so it was a it was a conscious decision to move into Pottstown. And our children, I can tell you, have benefited greatly from it. They got a whole world perspective a whole world education they can work with anyone they can play with anyone uh our son our son who is a gentle spirit who walks this earth um he lives out each and every day that everyone is a child of god regardless of how much money they have how much um you know he was he was profiled as a as a teenager um his hair was longish and he was in an airport on the way to Colorado to a church retreat. And a woman came up and said something to him about his hair or whatever. And he said, maybe you ought to look inside. <clears throat> because you don't know who I am. I'm the person who would hold the door for you. I'm a person who would pick up a bag that you dropped. I'm a person who would give you food if you were hungry. Before you do that to another person, think about that. And she went on her way. But but he 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 lives it every day and he, and he got that in now I'm not saying he wouldn't get that in another church someplace else. <laughs> sure. But he got it in Pasta. Yeah. And so it, it's, you know, it's community, it's community of faith. We're all in this together. There are days we all row in the same direction at the same time, and those are the best yeah. days. Those are the best days. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I love my community. I love the people. I um, I'll fight every day, every day for them mm. to make things better for equity. Yep, for equity and justice. Mm. I would like to end on a dream. What would it look like for my kids to go to a school that had $13 million more, um, who would graduate uh, from a school district that was fully funded, equitably funded? Because um, I resonate a lot with that. We want our kids in the school district. We were When we were looking for a house out here, we, we wanted to be closer. We lived in Exeter. Because um, that's where Zach used to pastor. Um, we wanted to be in Pottstown for 
a lot of the same reasons you were you were explaining. Um, and so I want this for my kids now, right? Like this, before we moved here, it was very much a, I'm fighting for kids that I'm pastoring, but now like I'm fighting for my own. Um, and so I, of course, am in the process of dreaming what my kids' future is going to look like. But if, if you could, if you got what you've been fighting for, what would that reality look like? So our children would have uh, the math programs that we had when I taught, which had every manipulative you would want. Our, our children were counting money in ways in first grade that we never, ever thought that that was possible. So I think one thing is elevate, it elevates the thought process of the teachers as to what these children capable of. Mm. Because if you just have a basic program with nothing with it, and you're just doing a basic program, you're not looking out there at what's out there farther. What can they do? What can they reach for? How far can they, how far can we expect them to be able to go? It, it, it elevates everybody's thinking. That, mm. that, that's one. So it's elevating the thinking. It's, it's the programs and the, the manipulatives. Think of science equipment. Think of labs. Mm think of, you know, instead of five children sharing a microscope, mm. think about a microscope for each of them or just two of them. Mm. Think about each of them having an iPad of their own when they're in middle school so that they can they can do their work. Although I will tell you when our our son, our son or our grandson was in middle school and they went to iPads and he and his friend I was talking to them, that at that point they would rather have had pencils because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because of technology was just giving them, you know, giving them fits. Yes. But, yeah. but pencil um, is a tried and true technology. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. perfected give, it. Give me a pencil with an eraser on it and I'm I'm happy. But um, so so they would have equipment, programs. Um, beyond that, the expectations for them. So so our daughter was in a district where the, the, because of the school she went to in that district. The expectations weren't very high for them. And so uh, a standardized test score, uh, a percentage of 30%, was, that was deemed okay. And I was on the Parents Advisory Council saying, no, that's not okay. Like, just because a lot of these children live in poverty doesn't mean they can't do what everybody else does. So mm -hmm. elevate the expectations. So expectations are one thing too that, that have to be raised. And that happens. Like you could see with this teacher, this 24 year tenured teacher who had been working with children, trying to figure out all different ways to make things better, exciting, challenge them. You could see in her the difference that that one program made, that one program. Imagine the math program like that and that's first grade so as we go up the scale our grandson said to us when in ninth grade you you know you know how much money a school district has by the number of ap courses they have mm. now now he was in ninth grade when he said that mm. and pottstown had six ap course springford 30 some wow so the opportunities also yeah. the opportunities that they would have that they don't have now. Mm -hmm. And and our kids meet those challenges. Yeah. If you challenge them and you expect them to be able to do these things, they will rise to it. Mm 
they will rise to it. So, so for me, the dream would be giving those children opportunities, elevating our expectations of them. And, and does that, does money buy that? Not necessarily, but when you don't have those programs, when you don't have those manipulatives, you don't have that lab equipment, you don't have the, the, the research resources for them to go and do research. Um, it impacts that, their opportunities. And so I would say my dream would be to let's give them everything they need to have those opportunities so that when they graduate, they can, they're workforce ready if that's what they want to do. They're ready to go on to higher education, whatever that may be. But let's give them the opportunity to meet their potential. Because they all have the potential. They all have it inside them. They do. They do. And when they know that you care about them and that you know you expect them to, okay, give me a little more. Give me they'll they'll be there. They'll give it. They'll show up. And and that's the dream for our Pottstown kids. Yours? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, may it be so. Yeah. Yeah. Marlene, thank you. Um, my we're gonna eyes are. We're gonna have a tear fest yeah, again. But that's my <laughs> my my tear ducts are a little bit bothered right now. Um, <laughs> I um, your tenacity and your perseverance and your passion is just one of the most inspiring things. Um, and when I like it, it it was no surprise to me that they named a street after you. Um, <laughs> Because when I think of Pottstown, you're the first face that comes to mind. You're the first name, um, and your 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 fighting spirit mixed with um, just such tenderness and compassion and kindness. I um, who I want to be when I grow up is very similar to Marlene Armato. Um, <laughs> Well, and uh, just you, you believe in people and you, um, you believe in what's possible. And uh, it's amazing. So thank you. You're welcome. But if you remember after your first sermon, <laughs> I told you that you had a gentle spirit, a gentle strength is what I said. That's you have true. A gentle strength. Mm-hmm. That she's she's gentle, she's compassionate, but boy. It's disarming, isn't it? <laughs> it is. When she talks, you're yeah. like, she lulls you. And yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is nice and comforting. But then by the end of it, you're like, oh, my soul hurts. What did she do to me? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that, was, that was her first sermon on her first day yeah. of preaching at church. And she, she had been through an experience, a, a kind of a... I don't know what you would call the experience that you had. It was an experience. Yeah. At at the meal. Oh, yes. The oh, very that experience. <laughs> yeah. That experience at the community. And it was her meal first first day, I think. My where there was a member day. who got right. attacked and yeah. there were police called and yeah. I could probably write a book about my first day of church ministry. Like just just about that. Right. Um and and navigating that with the faith community. I called our conference minister the very first day and said, 
okay, so this is what happened. How do I handle this? And he's like, well, baptism by fire. You're in it, lady. Like, this is this is it. Um, and handle it, she did. I, um, and then she spoke about it. Like, she didn't, that, that first Sunday, she spoke about it. She didn't try to, you know, put it aside or it didn't happen or it was, this is what happened. This is what we need to do going forward. We need to have boundaries. We love everyone, but there are boundaries. And like, and I was thinking, like, oh, this gentle strength. There it is. There it is. <laughs> I'm glad somebody else said it too. Yeah, she doesn't always believe me when I say it. Yeah. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Thank you, Marley. Thank you for sharing your heart and your passion and uh, your fighting spirit with us. We are so so grateful. To be on the journey with you. Thank, Amen. Thank you for being for moving to Pastone and being such a wonderful, wonderful addition, you and your family, to our community. And we have more justice warriors in this on the streets and in this work. Amen. 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 May it be so.